0: Hello everyone, Mike Arendt here, the Soul Mechanic, and I wanted to prepare you for what turned out to be a lengthy conversation between my esteemed guest, Donna Fairhurst, and myself. And initially I thought I might trim it down a little bit time-wise, but as I began editing it and listening to what she had to say again, I just couldn't cut anything out this beautiful soulful woman had to say if you need to because i know we all lead busy lives keep coming back again and again to hear what this evolving soul has to tell us and if you'd like to know more about donna you can contact her at www.soulfulsolutions.ca that's think of it as three words soul full f-u-l-l solutions.ca all right on with the show welcome 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 to another episode of men on fire on soul mechanic radio and tv Today, I know I've said you've had special treats before with guests, but this is such a remarkable woman, and you're going to find out. Her name is Donna Fairhurst, and Donna is an inspiring, intuitive, life soul coach, a Reiki master, a psychic medium, an empath, an auric and chakra intuitive, and EFT, that's emotional freedom technique, and some of you may know that as tapping practitioner and an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming Practitioner, and she's CEO, that's Chief Evolving Officer, I like that a lot, of Soulful Solutions. Now, Donna was born just short of being legally blind. She contracted polio at age one, endured and conquered cancer, bankruptcy, divorce, and three near-death experiences. Now you would think this would be enough for 10 women to endure, but the list goes on. She has moved 49 times, three times before the age of five and has had over 18 career changes. Now to say this woman has earned her PhD in life is a gross understatement. Now she has found love or rather love has found her, And at a time when most people are contemplating slowing down, she has chosen to live large and launch herself into her true life passion. And that's helping you give yourself back to yourself. And without further ado, I want to welcome the incredible and incomparable Donna Fairhurst to Soul Mechanic Radio and TV. Thank you for being here, Donna.
1: Thank you, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. It's so great to see you again.
0: Absolutely. It's wonderful to see you too. And uh, i had such a, a warm feeling when we met at uh, the New Media Summit. And uh, I, uh, I think we were supposed to meet. So I, I think that's a wonderful thing.
1: Well, in my world, there are no accidents. There are only wonderful synchronicities meant to grow us. So I feel like I've known you my whole life because I have in this and the past lives. So.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yes. No. That's great to hear. So I was wondering, you have such a, 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 an incredible backstory, and I was wondering if you might tell the listeners a little bit about that. And uh, you just go ahead and touch on whatever you want to touch on, and and hit some of the highlights, or go as deep as you want, and and let us know what what you've been through. Because uh, as I mentioned to folks in the intro, some of those things um, they're they're incredible, and uh, you're such a incredible person to have been through all that and I you know it's like the lives of 10 women so
1: (laughs) well I think I must be there well I know I'm a very old soul by now and I I keep dying and coming back they keep kicking me back so
0: you know it's not your time to go yet
1: (laughs) exactly that's what I got on the last one it's it you know no sorry because I really want to stay then that time and they said no you're not done yet you still have much work to do, so back I came. Wonderful. That's part of the story, I'll I'll illuminate you on that.
0: Sure, so if you wouldn't mind, uh, just uh, let us know a little bit about your your story and how you got to where you are now.
1: Well, I'll start with who I am now. I'm the Chief Mm -hmm. Evolving Officer, ever growing and ever knowing more about Soulful Solutions. And I named my company that because I got to a place in my life where I was very full of, of things and I'd been a lot of places and I'd endured and triumphed over a lot of what other people would call tragedies and, and desperate circumstances. And I had to keep digging deeper. And every time I dug deep, I found more and my basket was becoming fuller and fuller. And then I realized that I was living from my soul and not from my, my doing this, right? We right. Get, get stuck in our life in doing, and doing, and doing to become this, or become that, or create that, or draw whatever to us,
2: Certainly. and,
1: and I call that human doing.
2: Mm-hmm. You do,
1: and do, and do, and then at the end of the day, you're frustrated, you're burnt out, you're alienated, you've maybe been through a relationship or two, some illnesses and you're you're there and you're sick and tired on the river just saying i just want to throw myself into the river and let go and let god and when you get to that point it's not about religion it's not about dogma it's not about anything that anybody else teaches you it's finding the god in you finding the resource and the resonance and that's when you start to radiate like a radio station you send out the energy, the resonance, and you draw what you need to you from that, because just like magnets, you're going to attract that which resonates with the power of your signature.
0: Definitely. So
1: in my lifetime, um, I started as a uh, child of a very diverse couple. My father was a French-Canadian cowboy from a family of 21, 18 of whom survived adulthood Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um, he was Roman Catholic and bound and bonded to the earth uh, and a middle child. So he was very, very expansive, very, very typically French courier de bois, what you would think of Mm
2: -hmm. as
1: as the typical French-Canadian man and a cowboy and a prairie boy. So married to the land, he met my mother, who was the only child of a farmer in southern Alberta. She was highly educated with three degrees. Oh, wow. Teacher, she was a nurse on two levels, and uh, she was also a a prolific writer. Um, Mm -hmm. She never published anything she wrote, but she wrote continuously. Mm -hmm. And she, unlike my father, being an only child, was very insular and isolated growing up on a small southern alberta farm and uh her mother died very young and she had the typical evil stepmother so she delight she delighted in isolating herself further and then you know when she finished her education and went out to teach she went to clairs Home, alberta and met my father at a dance and these two incredibly diverse (laughs) incredibly unlike totally mismatched people fell in love And, um, we're together until the day my father died.
2: Oh, wonderful. Uh,
1: created a crazy, incredible life. When I was a year old living on, I think it was the second largest ranch in Alberta. It was 92 and a half, 96 and a half sections, if you can imagine. So, big. Yeah. Um, bordering on the chain lakes of southern Alberta. So I grew up in this incredible, uh, for the first five years of my life, this incredible natural wonder of a playground with Mm -hmm. lakes and mountains and animals. And my very first memory is a feeling. It it was just the feeling of being held. And I could smell leather and I was being rocked. I was, the wind was in my face and I could smell things I didn't know. I had no idea as an infant but at this time, as my mother tells it, I was less than a month old. My father strapped a saddle blanket around his middle, plopped me into the middle like a papoose on the front facing forward, got on a horse, <laughs> and went out riding for the day checking fence lines. And um, when he needed to diaper me, he just took me out, rinsed me off under a spring, and popped me back in. Put in, yeah. And so <laughs> that was, my first memory is the smell of Old Spice aftershave Mm-hmm. The trees, the wind, the grass, the horse, the leather, uh, everything that encompassed blowing into an infant's face.
0: A beautiful smell. And
1: uh, I, I grew up like that, surrounded by cattle and horses and dogs and cats and, and uh, a very, very strange Chinese gentleman named Frenchy, oh. who was the cook handyman uh-huh. of my mother with everything in the ranch. And 40 men plus my father worked the ranch. So as, you know, the second and very, very tiny female on the property, I was just adored. And I was carried. Everybody that got their hands on me just put me on their shoulders and carried me. So my feet never touched the ground for the first year (laughs) of my life. I I, I really was only learning to walk at age one. And I contracted polio
2: on the same
1: day that my brother was born prematurely. So if you can imagine, my mother's in Calgary shopping for baby stuff Mm -hmm. with a friend and my father's on the ranch with me and Frenchie, the Chinese cook, comes running to my dad and said that I had a horrible fever and I was coughing and I was red and he thought I was dying and my dad came running back to the house and rushed me into Claire's home, tiny little hospital in Claire's home, Alberta, and they said, she's got polio, she might die.
2: Wow. Same time, my
1: mother's got into premature labor, she's in Calgary wondering why nobody is answering the party line in Southern Alberta to That's get her right. head on a horse to get to her. So it, it progressed. My mother, I, I did survive. I was very blessed to only have uh, muscular interference. So what that means is I wasn't paralyzed, but my muscles have only X amount of cellular tension in them. Okay. So when I get tired, instantly I sound like I'm drunk. Because my my muscles stop working. Sure. Often. So if yep. I'm very tired or I'm very excited, I'll start to sound a little tipsy because I can't get the muscles working with the tone and the strength that they're supposed to, and Certainly. all the strength will go out of my arms and legs. Like when I get that point, I can barely lift a teacup. Mm-hmm. I can't stand up off the couch by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, that. That's a whole different polio. but. I mean, there were thousands of children and and adults that that died and that were paralyzed.
0: Mm -hmm, Yes.
1: So I am not an anti-vaxxer. Hey, you know, (laughs) (laughs) kill that polio sucker. I don't want it around.
0: No, no, exactly. No, I do agree with you. And um, I I know there are some folks like that, but, uh, you know, and each to their own uh, thoughts. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm old enough to know uh, and see some of the uh, good things that happened with people that did have vaccines. So. well
1: I think it's tragic that we had nearly obliterated polio from the planet mm-hmm. and now you know due to a whole whole spectrum of things happening around the world that and other diseases are coming back rampant that have been basically eliminated so I, I think it's one of those things you have to look at the overall value of of what you're creating and it's like that with your energy it's like that mm-hmm. with your It's like that whatever you want to manifest in your world or life. So I I became this very, very quiet, very insular child. In fact, I went to live with my grandfather and stepfather for six months as I was recovering because my mother couldn't handle a premature baby, a ranch, and a crippled daughter. Mm -hmm. But my parents actually, when I came back from my, my grandmothers and grandfathers at the age of two, I had this incredible world where my parents decided that I wasn't going to be crippled. I wasn't going to be less. I was going to run and swim and and ride and do all of these things. And they actually created what I call the first active physiotherapy for polio victims that was available outside of hospitals. And they didn't know Mm -hmm. they were doing it. They just did what they could do. So what that looked like is my father would go out to milk. In the morning, or one of the men would take me out to milk, and they would sit me on a pail and make me do the milking, you know.
0: Right. And yeah. make my
1: hands work. Um, my mo- then then my dad would come in, pick me, and pick the milk pail up, and go back into the house. Mm-hmm. My mother would sit me on the same milk pail when it was emptied into the cream separator, and she would put a cushion on it, and she would tie my feet to a Singer treadle sewing machine.
0: With oh wow! Yeah, yeah, I remember those. Yeah.
1: And she'd wrap it like I sort of had like mucklucks on my feet tied to this, <laughs> this machine. And then she would sew, right Because she made all the clothes, a lot of the clothes for the men on the ranch. She would buy mm-hmm. that. That was her little side job making clothes. So she would sew and then she after an hour, she'd take me off the feet and she'd put me on my tummy on a pillow over the pail, and she'd put my hands on there.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And she would do it, right? Yeah. My dad would take me out and he built a little seesaw and he would put progressively heavier sandbags on it and he would make me push it down and then he would make me sit on the other end and push it up. Right. So I was, and he would lie me, I remember he would lie me face down on the horse's rump with my head on the rump and right. my arms around, saddlebagged around the horse with a blanket Right. and then he would get on the front and he would ride for miles and those Big back muscles of the horse would be yes. massaging my whole body. Wow. And then he would turn me around and put me on my back in front of him. And mm-hmm. it happening with my legs on the front of the horse. They'd be tied around the horse's neck. Wow. And so I was having this full body massage all of the time.
0: Isn't that wild? They came up with it's, all that, eh? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Was,
1: my dad, we had this um, 45, 50 foot uh, cattle trough mm-hmm. that was four feet deep and 45 feet, 50 feet long. and My dad would uh, get me in there, tie me on his back, like, like put a shirt on me and tie me in with the shirt over him. And then right. he'd swim. He would dog paddle. And my hands would be tied over his arms. So
2: right, I yeah, yeah.
1: Paddling. And when it got stronger and the warm weather got better, he'd take me down to Chain Lake and he would swim across the lake with me on his back. Right. So, all of this was so very physical, and I was so attached to nature. But what my parents didn't know is when I became so isolated, all I saw was sound and color. Everything mm. was sound and color to me. And I had this hearing that was incredibly fine tuned to even the smallest sound sure. far away. So, when you have polio, And I didn't know at the time why I had this type of of vision. But
2: Mm -hmm. the fact
1: is, before the polio, I was born technically legally blind.
2: Wow. Yeah, yeah.
1: Nobody knew it. Mm -hmm. So um, we didn't have, in in the small towns and the rural areas, we didn't have visiting nurses and the things that they had in the public school system. That was just getting started in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And I was actually in grade uh, six when we had moved to to Calgary, to a small town outside of Calgary, which was amalgamated with the city. And when the t- little town was amalgamated with the city, they brought in all the public health people to check all the children because we were on wells. We didn't You're have right. city chlorine or anything like that.
2: That's good. So
1: uh, <laughs> we brought in the dentists and the doctors, and we got vaccinated, and we got our teeth checked and our vision checked and everything. And then they sent a report through the school to our parents and folks what needed to be done for mm-hmm. me? He
2: mm-hmm. said,
1: to "Mother Odonna's very strong and she's got great teeth. They're tiny, but they're great." <laughs> but uh, you know, she seems to be very, very short-sighted. We're quite concerned about her vision. Right? If you should get it checked, well, Mike, I couldn't see the big E on the chart. I mm-hmm. literally couldn't wow. see anything more than three feet away from me. It was, was it just, just
0: blurry. Yeah, yeah. And, well,
1: and and everybody looked like some weird kind of Christmas tree to me. They were all colors and lights because I was seeing their energy.
2: Mm -hmm. So as
1: this this insular, isolated child with polio and no vision, what happened is I, just by virtue of the environment I was in, became what I call a whole brain learner. So I learned to see with all of my senses. So when somebody becomes blind late in life, they know what all the colors are and they can imagine them.
0: They can they imagine them much better. They yeah. learn
1: to use their sense of touch more. Mm-hmm. But when you're born without that and you don't know it because you can see things close up but not far away, all of those other creative avenues that your brain has to see color and energy come to the forefront. Right. And that becomes your normal. You don't know that nobody else sees like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I also then started to communicate. Oh well, yeah, dead people started showing up.
0: Is that so right, started eh?
1: Started showing up. Angels wow. were always there. There was never a time in my life when I couldn't see and feel and communicate with angels. Wow. And What I call um, the little people, or, or the tiny ones, because I would see little fairy-like people. Oh. The one and only spanking I ever got in my life was mm-hmm. from my father and we had moved to this little town as I told you about and we had no yard or fence and we shared a well with the neighbor. So every day dad would have to go and get pails of water and carry them back to the house to fill the stove reservoir and sure. a bathtub and everything like that. And he would do that once a day. And my brother was two and I was about my he was three and I was about five at the time, just ready to start kindergarten. And it was early summer. So there was no school yet. Right. And I was sitting on the step, and my dad sat me down and he sat my brother, who he called the runner. That tells you everything. (laughs) He said, said, hang on to him. Don't let him go. That's your job. Just sit here and hang on to your brother because he had to turn his back on us to get into the well.
2: Right, right. Yeah. Well, the
1: minute dad turned his back, I'm hanging on to my brother, Wayne, and I'm looking around, and there's this little tiny, floaty airy, fairy, tiny person right there on the rose bush beside me. Right. And it's chirping away and twittering away and talking away to me, and I'm rapidly listening, and I let go of my brother's hand, and he takes off for the road, and there's a truck coming down the road. Oh, my. My dad hears it just out of the corner of his eye, and he runs and grabs my brother, sweeps him off the road, comes back, dumps him on the step, yanks me up by the hand, gives me three great whacks on the butt, as you could do then, Right.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And said, the first one is for taking your eye off your brother. The second one is for not shouting that he'd gotten away. And the third one is because I had to run to the road to get it. Mm -hmm. Were you thinking, why weren't you watching your brother? And I said, well, I was talking to the angel, Daddy. And he said, And that's for this damn bullshit angel stuff. (laughs) Wham, wham, wham. Three more. Gave you more. Um, (laughs) Yeah. My father had never raised a hand to me in my life, Mm -hmm. ever. He was my protector and my hero. And to be yelled at and to be struck six times. Yes. And then to be called a liar, which in my family was like the, the worst thing you could do is tell an untruth. Sure. And, um, it was devastating, and I shut down like that.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, you probably I just never, shut, shut shut right down. and didn't I did. say that. I saw you, you saw anything anymore.
1: No, I never, <laughs> I saw them, and I would listen to them, but I made no effort to communicate. I made no effort to do, do anything beyond like, okay, I see you. I'll close my eyes. uh oh, you're still there. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll really cover them. And then one, then one day I said, just go away, leave me alone, and they did. I
0: was going to ask you, did you start seeing them less frequently then when you didn't communicate with them anymore?
1: No, they always showed up, but they Mm. would be respectful and not speak. they just show up and let me know they were there. So I came to know that on some level I had these benevolent beings or helpers that were there because they showed up when I was in trouble or when I was concerned or when I was incredibly sad or happy. They would show up and it was it was I felt supported. Mm-hmm. I never ever felt scared. And I mean, I had crazy things too, like spiders and and wolves show up in like like they were alive, but not alive. Right. So it was scary. And those things I would tell my parents because I was scared and they would say, Oh, you're having nightmares or you're having crazy dreams. Sure. I mean, well, how can you have a nightmare wide awake at two o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of the day <laughs> in your living room? Right? <laughs> so <laughs> But uh-huh. I, I, I knew better than to try to talk to them about it. Yeah, And then my parents could not decide on a religion. My mother was a uh, United Church slash Baptist slash anything that wasn't Catholic or Jewish. And right. my father was very Catholic. Mm-hmm. But they were they were not religious per se. They believed they had a huge faith in a higher power, huge faith in, in angels, although they didn't like me talking to them. Mm -hmm. But they truly believed that there was a higher power that was responsible to us and we were responsible to them and that it was an interactive, cooperative experience. Mm -hmm. And my mother, being the great intellectual that she was, decided to discuss this with my father and say, okay, I'm not baptizing them in the Catholic Church and I'm not baptizing them in any church. They can choose that when they want to be, which was sacrilege in my father's family. Yeah, sure. The whole family disbarred. Yeah. So, we, uh, we were taken to just about every possible kind of religious church, religious... We were, ex- we were exposed at every level to every religion that ever existed, I believe, except voodoo. Dad didn't want anything yeah. of that kind of thing. But, um, you know, we, we went to Catholic Church, we went to United, we went to Presbyterian, we went to Mormon, we went to Temple, we went to the Sikh Temple. Uh, we went to Jewish temple. We we were everywhere. And so we would go, one week we would go to my father's church, one week we would go to my mother's church, and the other two weekends we'd all go to a different church. Right. Wow. And so at the age of 12, we just <clears throat> stopped. And we said, well, Art." one morning we got up, my brother was 12, my sister was tiny yet, so it didn't matter to her.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: my dad said, it's up to you now. Pick Pick whatever resonates with you. Which one makes you want to thank god which one makes you want to go
0: well which that's incredible go? for him to say that i mean there are a lot of um, and nothing wrong with the catholic religion but i know a lot of catholics are awfully staunch in that in the set in their ways a little bit mm-hmm. um maybe not as much now but i mean especially back then right well, yeah, and, uh, very. yeah exactly so that was that was very open-minded of uh, your father
1: yeah, I think they were both incredibly brave and very, very ahead of their time. And that allowed us to grow up in a very free and creative environment. And it also allowed us to have a lot of really deep discussion with our parents asking them, well, what does this mean to you? And, and it mm-hmm. meant they both of them, but yet they coexisted with, with, you know, for the time was a harmonious relationship. Um, and, and two very different people. So that, that allowed us to know that you can have a very different opinion from other people and still coexist and be productive. Yeah, and exactly. And loving, mm-hmm. which was the most important thing. You know, for them, the most important thing at the end of the day was to say, I love you. Yes. And it's all going to be okay. So we learned that, that love trumped anything else that came along except grace. And that—that's something that that I teach deeply with my with my clients in my coaching practice, and, and even in my my one-on-ones. But primarily, what I learned, um, and then throughout my life, I, I traveled a lot. I lived mm-hmm. for nearly thirteen years in Southeast Asia, traveled extensively in Asia, and was exposed to another whole spectrum. Of culture and uh, multicultures. Uh, the first uh, city I lived in, in Indonesia, in Medan, which is the capital of Sumatra, I taught in an international school where we had 150 children and 26 nationalities. Wow. So there were a lot, plus, plus we had also um, the local cultural school too, that we had to learn the language and our children had to learn the culture and the language. So it, it was uh it was a really interesting life. I was a swim coach and a, and a drama teacher there, and was got very involved in community and semi professional and community theater and,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: a lot of work uh, creating life saving programs for small aircraft over open water like ocean ocean crashes and that so right because our. The company we worked for, we were traveling on small planes over huge bodies of ocean. All the time, yeah. All the time. Yeah. So it was necessary to come up with a program like that. And after we had a a crash and a near, a near, couple of near deaths, I decided these children have to know what to do if the planes hit the water. Mm -hmm. So we, I coalesced with uh, Pertamina and Mobile Oil and Mobile Indonesia and uh, Jal Airlines and Air Garuda. Uh-huh. And created a program between them, and then Singapore Air came in as well, and we created this overwater program for small cr- aircraft. So we oh, were nice. our, what are the Dash eights and Dash sevens today? Sure. The first ones we call the flying duck because basically they could land on their belly and float for about six hours before they went down. Right. Equal. Um, so. Yeah, it was a very exciting life. But again, I was exposed to a lot of different cultures, discovered Buddhism, which if I have to say I ascribe to a religious point of view, it would be more that than anything else. But I'm actually a religious and kind of homogenous. I think all energy and any teacher that brings you closer to source and you feel that, that's a teacher for you. Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree.
1: it's, It's all about your heart. What you feel definitely. you draw to you. Good, bad, mm-hmm. or good, right? If you're having a bad moment and you act out in bad energy, you're going to draw exactly what you get. If you oh, act definitely. out with passion, you're going to be great. I also, during that time, had, had a divorce. My second um, was married young to my first husband, childhood sweetheart. Lasted a year, got out, abusive relationship. Right. Oh, good. Um Married a few years later to another fellow, exactly the opposite, was that with him for 23 years. And in the end, it it was, you know, an unfaithful situation. So it was just, uh, uh, can't stick this anymore.
2: Sure. Yeah.
1: Launched on my own, created my life, stumbled through a few more relationships, gave up on relationships altogether and said, I'm just going to become this huge magnet for power. And I right. really became the executive in the ivory tower with a great job. Went mm-hmm. through a bank, launching my own business, and right. ending my own business because of nine one one. So that was a learning curve. So I learned to survive relationship arm again. Mm-hmm. I survived company arm again. I learned uh, through cancer twice and a couple of other wow. surgery uh, through through. The journey of cancer and the journey of dying on, on surgery tables twice, I I learned that we, we never die. Mm-hmm. We are just having a human experience and we are here to learn in each lifetime specific spiritual laws through the experiences that are presented to us and that we attract to us by our attitude in that lifetime. Yes. So I have taken everything that i learned in my near-death experiences and developed first a program for myself which i called you know living from your true colors mm-hmm. because i see everybody's aura and energy so mike you were born to be a communicator a teacher and a nurturer every part of your being is about nurturing other people in fact you're what i call a classic overgiver.
0: Okay. <laughs> Were you aware of that? <laughs> um I have I've found that more and more uh yeah. as as time's gone on for sure. I mean I uh, I think in the beginning I like you married very early uh with a high school sweetheart and um had two kids right away and that sort of thing and um you know you get into the the jobs and uh and that sort of thing and I think I, I kind of uh, call it um you know, moving from ambition to meaning, you know, in your in your mm-hmm. life, where you know society tells us that we have to um, get married, have kids, get the house, get the car, get the job, you mm-hmm. know, all those sorts of things. As far as jobs go, though, I was never really satisfied at, at any job I went to. Um, the longest I stayed was ten years at one place, uh, just because I always felt I could do more, and I'd like to do more, and I was never, you know, I just. There's something else out there for me. I don't know what that is yet, but that was a recurring theme for me, you know? Um, So until I had to also go through many things that you've talked about, not the near death experiences, that's for sure. Uh, But, um, you know, uh, lots of the cancer with my parents and and, then deaths in my family and um, the bankruptcy and, and, uh, you know, thinking about uh, perhaps ending my own life. And uh, right there move, with you. you know, and moving, moving through all those things, and uh, I'm at the time when you go through that, you don't, uh, you can't see the good in it, but uh, I certainly do now, yeah. and uh, so it's uh, it, it's amazing that you know we've come out the other end, and uh, you're doing amazing work with what you're doing now, and
1: I, uh, I am, but I wouldn't be doing <laughs> it. I wouldn't be doing it unless I had gone through that's right all of those spiritual lessons and, and every single experience is our greatest teacher and so i've kind of in my life i've kind of broken it down into 12 segments that i know that everybody goes through. first of all is discovering the true colors Yes. What, what, what am I putting out there and what am I getting back what What am I shining am I shining black today or shining white am I shining red or am I shining green So mm-hmm. am I in my heart am I communicating am I creative am I truthful am I in integrity am I fun am I having some fun if, if I'm not laughing and loving what I'm doing then why the hell am I doing it
0: that's right I agree with you 100% you are
1: supposed to be in love with your life yes and if you're not in love with your life i mean and i had a great great teacher named rusty oh. and he was he was put in my path when i was on my climb to the ivory tower gone bankrupt uh, or declared bankruptcy after 911 mm. along with 600 other agencies like mine in canada right uh, travel industry didn't do very well in canada after 911 especially the small mom and pop brick and mortar ones exactly and i was uh my bank literally said to me well, Donna, you're a great boon to the community. You're a fine businesswoman. You're, you know, on economic development. You're probably going to be mayor someday. Hell, we love you. <laughs> but you know what? We need more. And I said, what's what's more? They mm-hmm. said, well, we need you to sign a personal guarantee. Pretty much everything I own: my house, my right. car, my firstborn son, and and give it to us. As collateral against your operating line, well, the travel industry then—if you weren't supported by the government like Air Canada—you—you yes. you were given X amount of money to work with, and and you had a low season, a high season, and two shoulder seasons.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you made all your money in the high season. You paid off your operating line. You soldiered through the first shoulder season. Then you used your operating line almost till the end through the next sho, the low season and the next shoulder. And then you were ramping up, getting it all back again. Yes. And that was the way the travel industry worked. At the same time, the airlines and all of the tour providers decided to go to zero commissions. So that basically put a, a you kill it, you eat it mentality into that industry. And right. it became very, very tough. And I was very successful. I was the first small agency in southern Alberta to have a toll-free telephone line. Oh, wow. For people to call in and ask questions, the first one to offer classes on how to be a better traveler, how to pack, yes. how, how to integrate languages, how to be polite, what body language you couldn't use in different countries, things yes. things like that. So and you've so always been really,
0: so forward-thinking. <laughs> thank
1: you. Thank you. I, I, attribute, I attribute that to my parents. I think they taught us that. That was a great gift that they gave us. And uh, what I learned was where my limit was, Mm -hmm. where I could not give my power away, and signing away everything that I worked so hard to create on a line and living this nebulous existence of of eking it out, trying with this pressure hanging over, what kind of a year is it gonna be? How far ahead can I have? Mm -hmm. I I am no longer in control of my Mm. destiny. The man in the bank in the suit is in control of my destiny. Mm-hmm. And at any moment he can decide my destiny isn't worth it anymore. And so I said to him, and all of that went through my head in like 35 seconds while he was talking to me. Yeah. And I listened to him, and it was really it was really debasing because he also brought in a trainee who was like twenty. Right. And <laughs> and he was sixty something, and I was forty something, and I had this twenty-year-old trainee who w- had done nothing yet with his life yes, and knew nothing. It was going to be very pontifical with me. Mm-hmm. so I was feeling mm-hmm. a little short tempered. And, um, he said, you know, Ms. Ty, that was my name at the time. Okay. You, you have incredible presence and, and you have incredible business skills. And we know that you're going to be successful at whatever you do, but you just need to toe the line here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This is, this isn't about you. This is about your industry. It's not you that we don't trust. It's your industry that we cannot depend on. Right. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Now let me think about that for a moment. Hmm. Yes, if you make me do this, I will put the keys on your desk in one week. And they said, you would never do that. You are so respected and so successful in this community. We'll see you on Monday to sign the documents. We'll get them drawn up. And this was on one Monday. And the next Monday, yes. I was supposed to go in and sign mm-hmm. it. I said, well, leave room on the desk for the keys. Right. And I went out and I went first and picked up the mail for the office. And then I went and bought a very large, you know, the big bottle of wine.
0: Yes, and I wasn't much of a drinker,
1: so it was some, something awful like baby duck or love a duck or throw a duck away. I don't know. It was one of those ducks. And I put it in the back of my car and I went and told my staff in my agency that I had to go to Calgary for business that day and I would be gone. And I didn't go to Calgary. I drove out to my little house in the country. And I phoned the head of the consortium because a lot of independents belong to consortiums, so I called him and I said, I am thinking of closing the doors. He said, Donna, you're the seventh call I've had today. Did the bank come to you for more collateral? And I said, (laughs) yeah, they want everything. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to, I'm going to close the doors. I'm going to walk away. And he said, well, you have to do what you have to do. What can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know yet. I'll let you know that tomorrow. And then I hung up and I got roaring drunk and I had, all by myself and I had a good cry and then I had a shower, went to bed, had a good sleep, got up the next morning, went to work, uh, found jobs for all of my staff without them knowing about it, Right. found agencies that I trusted that I could transfer my long-term files to, found a large agency through my consortium that could take my cruise groups that I had been developing for two years. And we're scheduled for the next season. So it was huge. And uh, then I told my staff, and they said, We're with you 100%, whatever you need to do. I said, oh, Well, I've got your nice. job.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's where you can go. And they went, Well, don't we have to interview? I said, No, you're hired on the spot because I, wow. I said who you are.
2: Well, wow. Yeah. You yeah. just
1: need to show up on Monday to work. And mm-hmm. they said, Okay, well, why Monday? I said, Because I'm closing the doors Friday night. Right. But it was a long weekend it was the last weekend of june so it was the july long weekend so we got everything done i called all the people that i had leased equipment from got all their equipment i paid all my debts yeah. didn't owe one cent mm-hmm. buddy and then i closed the doors and declared personal bankruptcy and on monday morning i walked in through the keys on the agency and said whatever's left after you take the paper off the window is yours goodbye
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah, I I did this similar thing in uh, in real estate, and I just did the same thing working with a line of credit, so that I kind of paid myself a salary, and then as closings came in, because you don't get paid till the house, house actually closes. Um, so um, you know that would make up for that. And at the time, I had to put through uh, two kids through university, you know, and had house payments, car payments, all that stuff. Now I did make pretty good money, but then um, I was pretty good at it. I did enjoy it. But it was a lot of, uh, a lot of time, you know, 60, 80 hour weeks. And um, it it led to the, um, the undoing of my marriage at the time. Mm -hmm. And after I went through everything and I still have my, uh, that we talked about earlier that I still have my real estate license and people said, Oh, you're going to get back into real estate. And I just couldn't do it because um, same reasons you talked about, you know, um, you're, 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 you're a slave to. the the bank basically, you know, and you're every year, you're thinking the same thing. You know, although I had done my best to develop systems to try to keep and repeat and referral sort of thing. You're still wondering what's this year's real estate going to be like, you know, and Mm. uh, how am I going to make it through the challenges and all those sorts of things. So uh, I just thought, no, enough's enough. And I'm not going to not going to carry on with that. But I wonder maybe if you could find uh, or uh, let us know how how did Frank find you? Because he found you apparently.
1: Oh my god, that, that's such a story. Well, when I walked away from from the town, well, from the business, I spent that that summer taking care of the last of my clients and making sure their files. Working from my kitchen desktop, which now is a reality, right? This is my right. home office. So that was, yes. was a precursor for this, but mm-hmm. you know. My foresight didn't go that far for me. It works really great for other people. (laughs) Um, I did finish up that summer, finishing up my files, and I took a couple of weeks off. And then I decided to end the relationship that I was in. And um, we weren't married or anything, but we've been a long-term kind of roommates with benefits. And I sort of said, okay, this this isn't working, and this isn't where I want to be. And I can't see it going any further than it is. And it's not enough. It's not enough for you. It's not enough for me. This just Mm -hmm. doesn't, isn't working on any level. And sooner or later, we're going to implode in a way that that isn't going to be healthy. So I'm choosing now, just like the business, to cut my losses and and go. Right. And um, I launched myself. And, of course, I had nothing. Then I had nothing. Yes. And uh, I launched myself uh, under the auspices of lived with some good friends for nine months while I got a job in Calgary as an agent. And actually... Found out that I could be a very high level manage, manager in other travel corporations and pay my, be paid 10 times more <laughs> than I paid myself with benefits.
2: Right. So yes. Yes.
1: I did that for a couple of years. And then my mother passed got very ill. And I went out to the, uh, Gulf Islands to help my sister because they ran a group home. And I went out there for a couple of months, uh, through my mom's, you know, illness and transition. Mm-hmm and then i um was headhunted for a job in calgary i was going to a job on the island to be closer to my family
2: right and i was headhunted
1: for a job in calgary and uh talked to my brother and sister who are still my greatest confidence in the world and they said you know it's six of one half a dozen of the other but in calgary you're going to be closer to more of your friends and family and more of southern alberta the environment that you love Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it's a big difference in in lifestyle so my sister said the islands closer to her my brother said calgary closer to him and i literally uh it was on the sake it was interview it was intuition and i went to work for a huge multinational commercial travel company uh that had no leisure division and they hired me to create a leisure division and so there was it there was oh nice yeah the dream job the ivory tower, the you know, twenty-seventh floor condo, uh, I, I had everything that any reasonable-thinking, middle-aged woman mm-hmm. of no means could want. Right. So I thought, <laughs> oh, okay, this is great. I'm perfect. I remember standing on my 27th balcony, looking out at the sun setting over the Rocky Mountains, bought a glass of wine in hand, cheering to myself and saying, this is it, through all that hell and the death and the disease and cancer Mm -hmm. and the bad divorces and the bankruptcy and, you know, trying to keep your kids together. You've arrived. You've got a dream job. You've got money in the bank. You've got wine in the glass and you get to travel. I was back traveling a lot for my job Mm -hmm. and I loved it. I just loved it. I loved my boss who thought alike. I knew I was going to be her in a few short years, and she was going to go up the ladder, and she was going to bring me with her. And and I just felt like I had reached it. And I said, that's it, God. This is perfect. Mm-hmm. God laugh. <laughs> and um, Frank and his beautiful wife, Debbie, who sadly passed, but not so sad for me, because yes. I ended up being the next Mrs. Fairhurst, but... She was a very good friend of mine. Frank, I barely knew. Frank was Debbie's, you know, kind of cute, funny husband that I right. saw once while at Rotary meetings, and we would dance and say hello. But we meant absolutely nothing to each other, and um, we had different lifestyles. They were good clients of mine. We saw each other through some difficult times. They saw me through, you know, one of my cancer scares, and I saw them through two serious things. Debbie, unfortunately. Didn't survive hers, but I I had moved away and I was out in the Gulf Islands when that happened. Mm And then I'd mm -hmm. come back to Calgary and they had tried to reach out and see me and I tried to see them, but we kept passing in the nights with our schedules. And then I got the call from Frank's friend that Debbie had passed, except that Debbie had come to me the night before. So think of this, I'm working late in my office and I'm on the computer Mm -hmm. and a voice on the computer, I'm typing and my fingers type, we need to talk. And I'm going, hello, hands off the computer. And I put my hands back down, literally shaking like this. I put them down yes. on the keyboard yeah. and it's, hi, it's Deb. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, the hair is starting to crawl. My skin still crawls with it. And she said, you need to get a message to Frank. And I said, oh my God, Debbie, you're gone. She goes, yeah, I'm gone. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't do it, couldn't hold out. And I wasn't meant to. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's okay. She said, that's okay. She said, it's going to be good. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for Frank. She said, it's all okay. I get it now. But she said, "Um, I need you to get a message to him for me when you go to the funeral. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, when did you die? And she said, this morning. (laughs) This is like that night. And so I'm thinking, okay. And I'm still at my office. It's working late. As you do as an executive, right? Mm-hmm. you' yeah. there working, and I said, "Well, what a, what about boots? What are you talking about?" She said, "Well, I have these little blue." And Debbie was like a domestic goddess. She did everything domestic like a goddess, right? Mm-hmm. She she was the baker, the cook, the canner, the sewer, the quilter, and she was a powerful businesswoman and networker and mother, gardener, everything. That I was not. Right. right? <laughs> and, I, and I thought, okay, you know, I can cook, sort of. I can soak. You know, I'm pretty creative. Yeah. But not those things that you think of when you think of the constant domestic goddess. Sure. So I take these little things, these boots. And I said, well, what about the boots? She said, well, they're my garden boots. They're only a size three. Only Louise, our daughter, will fit those boots. And Frank, I left him messages for everything because she was dying for 14 years. So she had literally, when I walked into that house for the first time, there were notes on everything. When you opened Mm -hmm. the cupboard, it said, Frank, do this, this, and this. When you picked up a recipe book, she'd gone through and written everybody's favorite recipes and circled them in big colored letters. I mean, anything that you could do to prepare her family, God bless her, she had done.
2: Oh, nice. And
1: um, the only thing she'd forgotten were these boots. Uh. So she tells me about these little rubber flowered boots, typical English garden wellies. Mm-hmm. And So I'm thinking, Oh God, nobody, I said, Debbie, nobody knows about me. And she said, Ah, more people know than, you know, they know that you talk to ghosts in the ear. You, they, you just don't talk about it, but everybody knows that you do it. And I went, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So she just get the message to Frank before the funeral, if you can, or, or at the funeral, if you can. And I said, Okay, so I typed this message to Frank saying, uh, Frank, you know what, I, I I just heard of Debbie's passing. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, she did have a conversation with me not too long ago about these boots and I know it was preying on her mind and she wanted to not forget. So I'm typing this, so I just wanted to let you know in case you forgot that these things are in the cottage beside this chest and of course, He didn't have a cottage or anything. So as I went to hit send, the power went off in my building.
0: Oh, really? So
1: I never knew whether the message went or not. Right. So the funeral was the following week, and I went with my ex-partner and another friend to the funeral. And um, while we were there, everybody was milling around, and everybody's going up and saying condolences to Frank and the children. And it was my turn to kind of go up. So I went up, got a big hug from Frank, gave him a big hug back, hugged the kids. And I said, did you get my message about the boots? And he went, no, I never. I I don't know what you're talking about. I "I sent you an email a week ago when I got the message of Debbie's passing. He said, no, I didn't get it. But it's so funny. A week ago, the day after she died, Mm -hmm. I had a dream. I swear to God, Donna, she was sitting on the end of the bed. It was so real. I sat up, I swear I was looking at her, but I knew I had to be dreaming and she was sitting on the bed and she said, find the boots, Donna is going to save your life. Really? And then she was gone and I, I woke up and I was still sitting up in the bed looking at the place where she sat mm-hmm. thinking, I don't know what that's about, but here you are talking to me about boots. So I said, well, maybe you're going to drown in the lake and I'm going to save you because that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> so that progressed and we were uh, communicating back and forth just as friends do. And yep. we had a cadre of friends that were divorced and widowed that lived in the city I was in. And so I said, well, you know, if you ever come up to Calgary, there's a pretty good group of us old Rotarians from Pincher Creek. Can we get together and we socialize and we go to the Legion for a dance and that nobody's partnered up or anything but you know what it's like in a small town you're, expect, you're expected to wear sackcloth and ashes for five years and then the minister of your church is going to find you a suitable preferably widow or right. single you know maiden and and no divorcees allowed kind of thing so yes. so if, you, if you want to come up and just get away from the sackcloth and ashes give rosie a call give jack a call give me a call one of us will put you up you're, you know you can just get away from it for a while so I didn't think he'd take it up on, and three weeks later, he phoned me up and said, I think I'd like to come up to Calgary and see you guys. And I said, okay, where are you going to stay? He said, well, I haven't called Rosie yet, but I'll call you back. Right. So he called Rosie, and she said, Frank can't stay with me because I have to go into the hospital that weekend for a minor procedure, so he's got to stay with you. So Frank came to stay with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Long story short, over several months of going out with this group, once a month he'd come up. My friend Rosie and I, who was a widow and a good friend of Frank's as well, said, let's set him up with Sherry, who was also a widow. So we were setting up this union for this little, and she was everything that Debbie was and more because she was also um, a biologist and an engineer. So we thought, ah, Frank's a mechanical engineer. Perfect. She's blonde. She's tiny. She's not British, but that's the only thing not going for her. (laughs) So, no, and, and the exact opposite, the exact opposite of me. Mm-hmm. So Frank was staying with me this one time and we had gone out for lunch that day and we had been pushing Sherry at him, and came back that night and I had to work. So he was at my place without me. And the next morning, I kind of forgot he was there because I worked late and right. I got up and I remember coming out of my bedroom and looking down the hall and seeing these very British shoes sitting, just sticking out at the end of the couch through the window view that I hadn't thought, Oh God, yeah, Frank's here. And I mean, this is how interested I was in another relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it was spring, so it had been like nine weeks, and I was wearing pantsuits to work. So I hadn't shaved my legs, shaved my armpits. I hadn't had a good haircutter at that time, perm, in right. months. And I wasn't going off on any travels, so it wasn't necessary to be dolled up to impress a man, which I was not trying to do. Yeah, And I had my mother, my dead mother, bless her, moldy old robe on and her moldy old slippers, which were my whoopee cushions from my mom right 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 so i've got this and i'm coming out kind of scratching my head saying well good morning frank you're still here huh because he <laughs> yeah you worked kind of late and i said yeah did you have a good night and he said yeah it was nice thanks he said i thought i'd take you out for breakfast today and i said oh that's why you're still there. okay cool that'd be good and so he said i made you coffee i made a couple pots but you slept kind of late because you worked kind of late and i said yeah that's okay so i'm getting a coffee pouring this steaming fresh coffee sit down across the couch from him. He said, so there's something I want to talk to you about before we go out for breakfast. And I said, what's that, Frank? He said, well, you know, I know what you and Rosie are trying to do and it's it's really lovely. It's wonderful that you think of that. And yeah, I am ready to move on with my life. You know, Debbie and I had 14 years to say everything to each other and get mm-hmm. used to the idea. And we knew the chances of her getting a double lung transplant were nil and none because sure. she's so tiny. So it was the end of the day. We'd we'd said our goodbyes, you know, we'd been we were we were in a good place. And she wanted me to move on and I'm I'm ready to move on with my life. And I said, That's that's great. And he said, Yeah, he said, but it's not gonna be with Sherry. Like, huh? He said, I know what you and Rosie are trying to do. I know you think she's perfect, she's tiny, she's blonde, she's blue-eyed, she's a professional. I can hear it going, the wheels going around in your mind, Donna. And Rosie's Filling in all the blanks. And I said, yeah. he said, no, I'm having none of it. She's not, the, she's not the woman for me. And I said, well, you haven't even given it a shot. You haven't even taken her out on a date. You know, mm-hmm. give it a chance, Frank. And he said, no. I said, you need to learn how to date again. And he said, no, no. He said, I'm not that kind of man. He said, I see what I want. I know what I want. I figure it out. And then I just go for it. And I said, <laughs> okay. And I said, holy mackerel. Do you like someone? He said, Yes, I do. And you know, you met Frank. He's yeah. very quiet, but very funny. And he said, Yes, as a matter of fact, I do have somebody that I really care quite a bit about already. And I'd I'd really like to get to know her a whole lot better. I said, Oh, you dirty dog, is it anybody <laughs> I know? <laughs>
2: And yeah, said, exactly.
1: Yeah, obviously you don't know her as well as I thought you might be, and is that you're so psychically gifted and everything. I thought you'd <laughs> be able to discuss this without pretty quickly. And I said, I haven't got a clue. Dear God, don't tell me it's somebody from Pincher Creek because there's nobody there for you. And right. he goes, well, she used to be in Pincher Creek. She's left and come back a lot of times. I'm hoping that she'll come back one more time. And I said, because I left Pincher Creek five times in my life and went back. Oh, wow. So he said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, who is it?" Big mouth of coffee, and he goes, "You and I." (laughs) All over him, hot coffee, all over him. Obviously, with my unshaved leg, and my moldy robe, and my ratty slippers, I was not presenting the persona of the elegant, sexy, I'm interested woman. Right. Because it wasn't. And I said, "You're crazy. I am not your type." He said, "No. This is written in the stars." Debbie said she was gonna, you were going to save my life, but I think I'm going to save yours. Oh, wow. And he said, I just need you to do what you told me to do for Sherry. I need you to give this a chance. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, come on, this isn't a harlequin romance. He said, it can be anything. We write the book. And I said, Nope. I've had relationships with good friends and they have just ended up in disasters. You lose the friendship, you lose the relationship and you never feel good about it again. Right. So no, I don't cross those boundaries anymore. I've done that twice after my divorces. I'm not doing it again. I want to fall in love with a complete stranger. He said, I'm a complete stranger. The only <laughs> thing you know, I said, I know everything about you. He said, no, you don't. It's the only time he ever pointed a finger at me, he said, you know Debbie's Frank. You don't know dip about me.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah.
1: You know Debbie's version, what she fed you for the last 14 years. That's what you know about me. You don't know me until I let you in. And I haven't let you in yet, but I want to. Oh,
2: that's I nice. said, well,
1: where are you going with this? And he said, well, I, I'd like to take you out for breakfast and maybe next week we'll go for dinner. And then maybe we'll go for a dance or maybe we'll go for a movie and we'll just go from there. Right. And I said no I, I really think this is not a good idea I'm, I I don't think I even want to go here Frank you're you're a very attractive man you're funny you're kind you know you're you're reasonably looks like well off so uh, yeah you've got everything going for you but for somebody else and he said, I don't give up that easy I'm British Keep <laughs> calm and carry on <laughs> And I said yeah yeah and he said okay. I'm gonna just ask one thing. And then I, if, if it's no, I will never bring the subject up again. We'll just keep the status quo and I will actually ask Sherry for a date then. I said, do you promise? And he said, I promise. He said, okay. He said, one kiss. <laughs> what? <laughs> one kiss. What is the harm? If I kiss you and I feel it and you don't, game over. If I kiss you and you feel it and I don't, game over. If we kiss and we both feel it, we take it from there. Fair enough. Now what you don't know is he had this huge geriatric dog who was uh-huh. 15 years old that was near blind, near deaf, and incontinent. Right. Who picked that moment to shit all over my beautiful Persian <laughs> carpet, most expensive thing I owned. and. All that aside, he said, well, let's clean this up, clean it up. He said, okay, now let's just have that kiss, and then I'll leave. And I said, okay. And we walked around and around and around my circular house, kind of like following each other. And finally, I stopped at the door and said, okay, if I stop at the door and kiss him and he leaves, it's over. Right. And we were engaged three months later, and married Wild. a year later.
0: Wild. <laughs> I and guess I, you both felt something then. Yeah,
1: never <laughs> been. Literally, you know, I didn't believe the old, you'll hear music and the bells will ring and stuff like right. that. But it did. My yeah. knees went out, went wobbly. It was you, that's that's the it factor. Mm-hmm. Right? That's mm-hmm. what you know that this this is the energy that's that right. I've been waiting for. This is what resonates with me. And oh, you know, definitely. we've been through hell and high water together, but, mm-hmm. but nothing has changed about that. Yeah. And I wouldn't be doing this, this work. I wouldn't have stepped out of my closet and embraced my true calling and be living my passion if it wasn't for that man testing my sails.
0: Right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Such a wonderful story. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So w- the things that you're doing now... Um, on uh, on your website there's a, a number of things that you're that you're doing and maybe you could just touch on those and maybe let us know how um, <clears throat> excuse me how people can get a hold of you and best to get a hold of you and mm-hmm. and uh, if they're interested in working with you at all
1: well you're right I do do I do do a lot of things primarily now over the last two years it's evolved that I'm a life and soul coach and I mm-hmm. keep, uh six and twelve month programs as a specific program of life empowerment called zero to clarity
2: yes that sounds and nice. i
1: take my clients from zero stage wherever they are mm-hmm. and take them the two of us that's the two in the zero to clarity yes we work through a plan and a program but i teach it from the modalities that i learned by communicating the spirit and from my near-death experiences right yeah, yeah. one of my Three, apparently I've had four. I have three that I remember. I don't remember the one when I had polio. Oh, okay. Um, I I nearly died from the fever. Mm -hmm. They had to resuscitate me. I don't remember that, but my father years later told me that that's when I started talking about angels. Oh, I see, yes. And other people. And they would call it my dreams, my Mm -hmm. dreams.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And then as it got older, it was, you know, now this is crazy, maybe you're bipolar. My mother actually took me to have me hypnotized by a child psychologist who assured her that I wasn't crazy and I wasn't bipolar and that perhaps I might be talking to spirit. And she said, well, it's messing with her life and ours. Can you hypnotize her to not remember these crazy dreams because it's causing all kinds of problems in our lives? Right. And so they did. Then it didn't work. No. Because it won't if you're not a part of the process. Mm -hmm. But I did develop a passion for learning about hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, later on, neurolinguistic programming and emotional freedom technique and touch technique. I studied all of the different types of Reiki, became a Reiki master in two disciplines, um, learned about energy and moving energy. And in each one of my near-death experiences, I came back with a bit, like mm-hmm. a, a principle. Yes. And uh, then I lucked on to, I was, I was very blessed early on in his career to meet Dan Millman who wrote The Life Path of the Way of the Warrior, The peaceful Warrior, that. And I also was very blessed to meet Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and do a lot of Mm -hmm. work with them and also a lot of work with Sylvia Brown. Mm -hmm. Later on, John Holland. And so, and Jose Silva from The Silva Method. So I've had a lot of really, really amazing teachers and mentors in my life. And each one of them said, you're moving to who you really are right and, get there. and and wayne god bless him wrote a book on it uh you'll see it when you believe it
2: that's right <laughs> you, you know
1: <laughs> so and, and manifest your destiny was was a book that i thought he should have de- dedicated to me <laughs> because it was so true And we had so many discussions about it but along the way i learned to, to teach people about their true colors that, that their aura and their field is their true colors and from that field, they can know who they really are. Yes. By balancing and grounding the chakras and the field, you create health mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Then I learned to teach them the power of their word. I am. Yes. When you say those words, you're sending out a radio signal to the universe that tells the universe exactly, in no per other way, what you want. That's so right. if you say, I'm sad. You're gonna get more sad. Yes. You ask them to say, I'm really loving this sad thing, so bring it on. And they go, Oh damn, we wish you made a different choice, but you chose sad, so let's give you more of the experiences that will create more sadness for you. That's right. Everything that we feel is a choice. It's a God-given feeling based on an experience that we have chosen at some level to have to integrate a new awareness to take us to the next spiritual level. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man, a woman, a child, or a ghost. That's right. We're mm-hmm. all transitioning mm-hmm. in this space. So from that, I learned about, I, I created a toolkit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that toolkit, literally, mm-hmm. here's part of the toolkit. These are all chakra affirmations. Oh, and yes. For all the chakras. I have a clearing prayer and an angel invocation that I use. And this is a basic toolkit that I give to all of my clients um, to use to start to establish a practice of mindfulness and meditation.
2: Yes. Oh, wonderful.
1: Meditation should be hours and hours of oming on the gloaming. That's great if you're a monk and it's your career. That's right. Most of us have a life. (laughs) Meditation has to be a practice that integrates and expands on our life. If it's not, we're not going to be continuous. We're not going to do it. That's so right. I, my aim was to create simple tools that if you did them simply and you simply did them, it worked. That's right. right. It's not rocket science. Spirituality, health, mental, physical, emotional, that doesn't start with a doctor. It doesn't start with a pill. It doesn't start with a priest. It That's starts right. with you Within creating you. Then I... I died and I found out about infinite unity
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and that everything is infinite. Everything is connected. All the patterns that we see are unified. All the fields that we see are unified. And it's yes. only our perception that distorts the field. Mm-hmm. So not like The Matrix. That movie should have got a million Oscars because it's such a truism.
0: It's amazing, isn't where it? Where
1: people weren't then. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the old movie that Robin Williams did it years ago about heaven? Yes. Yes, and it was so far-fetched. It was so out the colors and everything. And yep. That, but that's the way it is. Yeah. When you cross <laughs> over, whatever it is that, that you think that you need to want to embrace is what comes towards you mm-hmm. and that you get to expand and experience. And I, I tell you that the one thing above all, if you get nothing else from me on the other side, on the other side, which is here, not there. Right. There is no judgment, there is no pain, there is no shame, there is no blame, there is no guilt, there is no fear. Yes. All there is, is love, unity, and grace. Yes. The greatest of which is grace, Mm -hmm. because sometimes you can't feel love, but grace will get you through it. I have a little prayer when I'm in tough situations, It's kind of a prayer affirmation when I'm I'm backed into a corner and I want to be truthful but I know that the truth will hurt yes and and that I need to be mindful of my words and this is a feeling and I don't know whether it's a part of the other person's feeling or the, the situation is such that it will hold it yes so my saying there before I open my mouth is dear God in this situation angels guides guardians all of my crew come in here in this situation, if I cannot be love, let me be grace. Right. If I cannot be grace, then let me be quiet. Mm-hmm. And if I cannot be quiet, then get me the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> before I open my mouth. Thank you, God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, grace I always found so interesting, too, because uh, love, the word love, to each of us, uh, because we all have our own perceptions and beliefs based mm-hmm. on what we've experienced in our lives, it's like the word God, too. You know, some people, you say God, and they think of a guy in the clouds with a big white beard, and is going to uh, punish you when you do something that's not written in stone somewhere. So, um, you know, everybody has their own perception on that. So sometimes saying love, uh, and people know love only the way they've experienced it, and it may not be good for them to, or maybe not even have good feelings when they hear that word you know so mm-hmm. saying something like more like grace is even um like you say is kind of um, it, it is, is, higher, is than, higher than that yeah
1: yeah grace is a grace is a zone that encompasses every feeling that we right. have right and it, it doesn't matter what we're feeling we can choose grace when we can't choose love mm-hmm. or when we can't feel the ability to choose love because we can choose anything we want and and I guess part of my teaching is through through the, the last near-death experience I had, um, I learned the calm principle. And that is, it brought all of my learnings and all of my teachings and all of my experiences together nice. when I learned that principle and brought it back. And what I learned with the calm principle is that we, we resonate somewhere between chaos and incoherence and calm and coherence. And the degree to which we can move from chaos and incoherence and resonate with calm and coherence is the degree to which we can embody love and grace. And that leads you to be calm and to flow like a river. The minute you flow like a river, you can surrender. You can surrender everything that is not of you.
2: That's right, right? yeah. And Mm -hmm. just let
1: it go. When you think, think about the river, a river doesn't think Oh, am I a creek or a snowflake or a raindrop <laughs> or an ocean or a lake? A river is just riverness. Mm-hmm. It is the essence, the energy of a river. And sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's swollen. Sometimes it's a shrunken little trickle in a dry That's bed. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet the river always has expansion. Yes. The river always has the ability to be more or less based on the energy of riverness. Mm-hmm. A river doesn't think... Oh my God! I'm coming to a drop. I'm going to be a waterfall. I'm going to my death, and I'm going to end. The river right. just flows over and becomes this cascading waterfall, and then it becomes a whirlpool, and it might have a tidal wave to it. Eventually, it flows to the ocean and becomes part of the mother of, of all that is, and then it it goes back up and becomes air, and then condenses and becomes it rain and becomes it comes down the mountain. It's always creating river, mm-hmm. and that's what we are. We are the human expression of the river, Mm -hmm. but we have to learn to to be calm, to use our tools, to find infinite unity within ourselves, to to surrender to it, and then we get to experience river where whatever bump, whatever snag, whatever eddy, whatever hill we hit, we can flow through it, over it, under it, around it. And guess what? The river doesn't think if it gets dammed up. What happens? It goes underground. It creates right. arcane wells. It yeah. comes out as a waterfall <laughs> bursting out of a rock when you're driving down the highway. Oh my God. Look at that coming out of the side of a the rock. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no river flowing to it. How is it coming out of the rock? It's, it's not. It's just expressing riverness and finding where it can flow when all else is going against it. Absolutely. And when you do that and you become the river and you surrender to it, then what you create is the space for what i call sacred soul self Mm -hmm. now sacred soul self only has one duty and that is to expand on everything within that sacred soul to create a self a human being rather than a human doing Mm -hmm. right if you're doing and doing and doing what do you end up with
2: well (laughs) doo-doo.
1: <laughs> yeah. happens, right? Yep. It's not pretty. But if you are being and flowing, regardless of the resistance that you may hit along the way, if you stay in calm and coherence, you're going to flow under, around, over. You're going to find a way with calm. That's right. Yeah. And you create a way of being mm-hmm. rather than a way of doing.
2: Right, trying to, to force things all the lot time. Of
1: things, mm-hmm. Being, and when you are being, you are living on purpose, on passion, and and you are able then to experience what I call godness. And godness is to me how I interpreted and, and experienced it on the other side. Is think of a prism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and this is what I call the prism principle. P r i s m. Yes. When you see a prism or a crystal, it reflects. All the light that is. Right. And you can create holograms and you can create all kinds of things from that refracted and expanded and expressed light. That's what we become. And that's what God is, the energy that mirrors everything that is, that ever was, that is, and that ever will be all at one time. Yes, and that prism doesn't start being doesn't stop being a prism shining rainbows because you put a light a case over it.
2: Mm-hmm. That's that right.
1: Light, the potential, the 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 intent of that light is always there. It's your exactly. choice whether to shine it or not. Yes. So once you've done the prism, you create optimum balance. Definitely. In everything that you do, say, so express, and odd. and when you're in balance then everything else just grows exponentially. And you no longer question. You trust your intuition. You trust the people you trust, and you don't trust the people that you don't trust. But That's you right. Have the grace to walk away. Yes. You know? Um, it's about making choices. So so my motto is always to be, to express, and to teach how to know yourself, grow yourself, flow with yourself nice, nice. and ultimately grow and glow as the, the huge effervescent light.
0: Exactly.
2: You
1: are and have the capacity to grow more. Definitely. And as part of an infinite unity, you are absolutely necessary. Without that thread that light that is you, the universe is not complete. Oh, and that absolutely! light doesn't go out when the body does.
0: No, 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 that's right.
1: So that's why you need a spiritual light. To, to know that to trust that everything that's happening to you, I mean, and I don't care whether you're Catholic, Hindu, Buddhist, from Timbuktu, as yes. long as you have a spiritual practice that serves you to know you, grow you, flow with you, and glow with you, I'm in.
0: Yes, so absolutely.
1: That's what I teach.
0: Well, uh, that's one. Uh, that's a, a lot. <laughs> and I, I agree with it. Life
1: purpose yet?
0: No. <laughs> And I agree with everything you said and I know that you and I could talk about this for hours and hours but uh, we're running a little bit short on time and I just wanted to let you give you an opportunity to uh, let people know your your website and that sort of thing or how can they get a hold of you or the best way to get a hold of you if they'd like to uh, continue on with anything with you.
1: Uh, my website oh. is www.soulful the word f u l l think of three words soulful solutions. Right. That's what I create. That's what I'm about. That's what I teach. And that's what I embody everybody to learn. You can phone me at 250-535-0746, or you can email me at donna at soulfulsolutions.ca.
0: Perfect. And I'll have all that in uh, in the bottom of the show notes and that too. So but I just wanted to give you an opportunity to, to invite folks to uh, look you up. And. uh I,
1: I am so grateful for that. And I do offer, for for people that are interested in anything that I've expressed here, I do offer a complimentary 30-minute uh, zero-to-clarity session if they're interested in coaching. And I also offer all the one-on-one modalities that you see on your website, whether it's Reiki Healing or Hypnosis or neuro- Neurolinguistic Programming or EFT. I do one-offs for healing practice. Right. And then I have coaching practice, which is the zero-to-clarity
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. So I'm going to end the, the recording now with you, Donna, and I want to thank you so much. And you've gleaned so much knowledge to, to all of us. And you're such an incredible woman and, and uh, a life force. And I uh, certainly enjoyed my time. And I'm sure the listeners did too. And uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again very soon. And uh, we'll say goodbye for now.
1: Thanks, Mike. It's been such a pleasure and a joy. God bless you and yours. Take care.
0: Same to you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. As always, keep what feels good and dump what doesn't. And remember, live without judgment, give without expectation, and love. For no reason follow those three simple expressions and you'll be well on your way to an inspirational intentional and successful life until next time you're the one